I hope you guys are ready. God's already moving. Amen? Isn't it amazing when we already know? It's like before we even get to the, the truth, we already know that God is in the house and there's going to be something. God is going to do something amazing in your life today. I'm so excited about this series. I'm so excited about what's happening. And so, guys, we, you can see these tables set up. Um, we have communion. We have open communion. That means that you do not have to be a member of Living Water. The Bible talks about it, and I know that they'll share a little bit more later, but the Bible says that we, um, we eat and drink judgment on ourselves. So it's a decision that you need to make, and, um, and we will serve you. Um, you decide um, whether you should take communion or not, and they'll, they'll let you know. But during the invitational time, um, because we're not going to have a closing song this week, when we do our invitation today, that will be our time of giving, our time of prayer, and then after that we'll have communion, just to let you guys know. And during that invitational time, also parents, after you have had an opportunity to pray at the altar and give, then we're going to say, go ahead and go get your kids, because we like our kids to be a part of that, to learn what it means to, to take communion as a family. Guys, we're starting a new series today um, called The Pharisee in Me. You're like, great. It's one of those. It is. I'm not even going to lie to you. Um, you know, I'm stirring the pot today. I guarantee it. There's going to be a statement that I make today that you're like, I don't know if I like this guy anymore. Um, but, but here's the cool thing about what's happening today as we and every day when we get into this story we're going to look at a story in the bible and we're going to see how jesus interacted in that story but one of the things that i'm hoping that you'll see is that every one of us can relate with someone in that story you may be the one who needed mercy you may be a person who likes to give mercy or you may be the person who doesn't like to give mercy we'll talk about that a little bit but this series the pharisee in me is the purpose of this is to take an honest look at ourselves. So what I'm hoping and praying is that during the next three weeks, every one of us in this room is going to take an honest look at our heart to see if I have any of these tendencies of the Pharisees. Because we look at the Pharisees and we're like, man, those are a bunch of jerks. Well, yeah, they became jerks. But did you know that it was, if it wasn't for the Pharisees, there may never have the Sanhedrin, the church, the Jewish church may never have made it to the point of Jesus that it wasn't for them. But you know what? The hell was paid. Hell was paid with good intentions. So I'm wanting you to understand is that the Pharisees started off with the best of intentions and became something they didn't want to be along the way. Have you ever noticed that in your own life? You started off good and you started off with good intentions and somewhere along the way you started acting like someone you didn't want to act like. Can anybody identify there? So guys, when we start talking about the Pharisees, understand that these guys didn't want, that wasn't their intention of like, hey, I want to be a jerk. All right? They became a jerk, but that wasn't their intention, just like us. Second thing I want us to do, the second purpose is, is to discover the heart of Jesus. Guys, we can't miss this part in any of the stories, is the heart of Jesus and how he saw the hurting world around him. And the third is that we will then have the same heart's desire to see people as Jesus saw people. That's the whole point. In the next three weeks, if we can get those things, great, awesome. We're going to be looking at three areas that the Pharisees struggled with. Self-righteousness. Woo-hoo, right? We're going to talk about being judgmental. We're talking about being legalistic. That sounds like a lot of fun. You know what I hear all the time from people who don't attend church? Those are the three biggest areas that I hear of why people don't go to church. Well, the church is so judgmental. All those self-righteous hypocrites. Right? Well, there's a reason why the lost world sees the church like that because our churches are acting like that. So we're going to stop it. Knock it off. Right? All right. We're going to knock it off and make sure the living water is not going that direction all right so the pharisee in me today's message is from self-righteousness to merciful so the to define self-righteousness let me start here it views themselves as better than others a moral superiority over others josh no i'm not saying it's josh i'm, I'm just making sure that josh is listening josh Finish this statement. 
we're better than you and all right we got one dodgeball watcher i put you on the i put you on the on the spot you were like i don't want to look like i watched that movie so there's a clip in dodgeball where they're like doing this 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 promo of coming to the gym and like we're better than you and we know it right well that's self-righteousness right but self-righteousness is more like this we're better than you and we want you to know it that's really what the self-righteous that's the heart of self-righteousness i'm better than you and i want you to know it it's not enough for self-righteousness just to be better than others and view themselves as better better than others but self-righteousness at the heart of that wants you to know it i want you to know and that's that self-righteousness and so the trouble with this mentality though is that it's unbiblical at every part in romans 3:10 it says there is no one righteous no not one you see the problem with self-righteousness is they think that they're righteous and the bible says no you're not well, if I continue to walk around like I'm self-righteous, I am, in con- I am a complete contradiction with the Word of God. And there's a problem here, and probably here. <laughs> so Philippians 3.9, I, I preached on this last week. Paul even said, hey, I don't want to have a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but I want a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. That's the kind of righteous. God, I'm not righteous on my own. And any kind of righteousness that people might see in me is only because you're in me. Right? When we come to a place of like, if there's anything good coming out of this, it's because of what he's doing in me. So self-righteousness says, no, I'm doing pretty good on my own. I'm doing pretty good here. So now, self-righteousness is at the heart of the Pharisees. And and it's a form of pride. Pride says, I'm evaluating myself in the view of others. So uh, looking around, I start going, okay, well, I'm doing better. I'm doing better than Big Mike, you know. So I'm doing pretty. That's, that's pride. Pride would say, hey, I may not be doing like Jesus is doing, but I'm doing better than that guy. Right? I mean, but that's self-righteousness. That comes, that comes from pride. Humility says, is completely the opposite. Humility says, God, I'm going to take a look at me in the view of you. I'm going to look at your love and then compare the way I love others to how you love others. God, I'm going to look at at my grace and I'm going to compare your grace, my grace with yours. Do I have the same kind of grace that Jesus offered? Do I have the same kind of mercy that God offers? Do I have the same kind of forgiveness as God offers? That's how somebody who's humble will evaluate themselves. Somebody who's dealing with pride is going to be, I'm just trying to be better than the next person. Now, you may be at different stages here today. I need you to listen. You may be a full-blown Pharisee right now. Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Okay? You may be like, oh dear, I didn't bring my boots today. My toes were already hurting, and we haven't even got into the scripture, and we're in the introduction still. This is going to hurt. You may be saying, well, you know what? I can kind of see some of the beginning signs. Or maybe you're sitting here today, and you're like, I don't really struggle in this area at all. Then you can praise God that you're not as messed up as the person sitting next to you. Did you catch that self-righteous little thing? Come on now, that was funny stuff. Loosen up a little bit. Come on, that was good. All the wives were like, yeah, I'm, you need to listen to this. You know, you, husband, listen to what he's, okay, so, all right. So, but here's the thing, as we look at this story, and it, we're going to be looking at Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector to be his disciple. What's amazing is that Matthew needed mercy in his life. Jesus was the one who offered mercy, and then there were Pharisees who show up later in the story who are completely shocked that Jesus would offer him anything, him of all people, right? So what I'm hoping to do is that I want you to kind of look at where you are in this story, because every one of us should be, at some point in our life, we were a Matthew. We were needing the mercy of God. If you're saved today, you needed his mercy, right? 
But so what's so strange is how many of us have needed God's mercy, get God's mercy, then stop giving God's mercy. We become a Pharisee when we started off as one receiving every bit of mercy that we all needed. So today we're going to look at Matthew 9. Matthew 9. So, so as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax office. This is Matthew is a tax collector. Uh, we can look into history and find that out for ourselves if you don't believe me. But tax collectors have their own title heading next to sinners. They're not called sinners. There's tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were in a bracket all by themselves. All right? I'm just wanting you to understand, in that culture, no one was more hated than the tax collector. He was the lowest scum of it all. No one liked tax collectors, and I'm going to tell you why. So the Romans came and they conquered the Jews. Now the Jews have to serve the Romans. The Romans then say, I'm going to make you pay me taxes. I'm not going to do anything for you. I'm just going to take money from you. But they wouldn't do it themselves. What they would do is say, hey, I'm going to find some Jews among you, and I'm going to have them take your money. And the way that they're going to get paid is by overcharging you. So if I was a tax collector... And I went up to Chloe Jordan here, and I said, okay, uh, the Romans say that you're going to give me $25 today. You're giving me $25, or I'm taking your house. Well, you're going to give me $25. Well, then I pocket five of it, and I give 20 to what the Romans want. See, to be a tax collector, you were going to be greedy, and you weren't going to have a conscience. The tax collectors were viewed as traitors, Liars, deceivers, and greedy, everything, just whatever title, the worst of the worst. I'm just wanting you to understand, no one, like, because we have to get, if we don't understand how bad, so here's the deal, every one of you has a sin out there that you don't like. It's probably not the one, because we have self-righteous tendencies, it's probably not the one you struggle with. I mean, let's be honest, the sin that you think is the most disgusting or despising sin in all the world is not what you struggle with. Am I right? Come on. Am I right? The one that you're like, I can't stand that sin is not the one that you're struggling with. Am I right? Come on. Am I right? Okay, everybody else is lying. You're all lying. All right, so, but there's a sin probably out there that you, I can't stand that sin, right? There's a sin out there. We all struggle with sin, but there's one out there that you can't stand, right? Come on, don't act all righteous now, because we'll I'll be, I'll be seeing you at the altar here in a little bit, all right, so put the righteousness away, all right, because here's the thing is we all, there's sins out there, I'm like, I don't like that one, it makes me feel uncomfortable, right, I don't like that you sin differently than me, right, I mean, that's really, but what I'm wanting you to understand is that here is the person in the entire culture hated the most, You need to get your head wrapped. So whatever sin you despise the most, think about a person who, who, not, 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 don't put a name, hopefully, unless you're like, well, that's my my neighbor. So what, whatever, but, but there's that sin that you can't stand, and then Jesus comes along and he asks that person who's doing the thing you can't stand the most to be his closest disciple. Put that on. Come on. See, I mean, we're about to get deep. I just want to make sure you got your waders on, okay? We're about to get into the water. All right, so here we go. So he's at a tax collecting office. We know now that, that tax collectors are more hated than anyone else. In fact, when they're all the sinful people, it was tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes. I mean, it was never, hey, sinners and the tax, no, the tax collectors had an own bracket. They were worse than the sinners. They were hated. Now look at this, verse 9. So Jesus passed from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax office, right? And he said to him, I want you to follow follow me. He said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Matthew, what Jesus didn't say. Matthew, when you get your life straightened out, come follow me. Huh? Come on. Us Christians don't say it like Jesus said. We're like, you know what? When you want to get your act together, then come on. When you want to get your life straight, come to church. 
Jesus looks at him. He's sitting in a tax-collecting office, stealing, thieving, lying, the heart of greed, a traitor to his own nation, the chosen nation that Jesus was a part of. And he says, come, follow me. He didn't say change and then follow. He says, follow me. Ooh, that's how, come on now, huh? Huh? I want you to think about it. What if Jesus would have went to you and said, you know what, when you change everything, then you can come follow. He didn't do that to any of us, did he? Ooh, I'll tell you what. So Jesus invited the most hated person in the community. Don't miss that. The most hated person who had a name, Matthew, not just a here. This isn't a hypothetical that Jesus is teaching a parable. This is history. This happened. Jesus invited the most hated person in the community to become one of his closest disciples. Right? Huh? Think about it. What if, what if it wasn't you and you watched the most hated person that you know, the person you hate the most, and Jesus went to them and said, I want you to come be one of my closest disciples. Huh? That's where it gets real. How do you think this set with the community? Let, let, how do you, like, you think the, the community is like, yes, a lost person got saved. They're like, are you kidding me? You picked that guy? That one? He's the choice? He's going to be the golden boy? Are you kidding me? That turkey took me for 20 bucks. I mean, right? I'm going to have to go see the chiropractor again. I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> I mean, think about it, right? So, so how do you, so you know, I'm telling you, this is the talk of the town. Everybody in that community is like, are you kidding me? Did you know that Jesus just called the, that tax collector that stole our homes and took our boats and took our jobs from us and everything? He stole everything from us and Jesus chose him? How do you think it was set with the church? Oh, oh, come on. How do you think it set with those guys? Right? Because churches are filled with righteous, I mean self-righteous, I mean righteous people. I mean, how do you think it set there? Do you think that was like really a popular move? Whoa, look at the move Jesus is making. They're like, are you kidding me? Isn't there a better choice out there? I mean, are we really picking from the bottom of the barrel right now? How do you think it's set with the disciples? Do you think they were like, this is awesome. I, I signed up for this. I promise you, just because they started, they, they're all new disciples. Just because they started following Jesus did not make them stop being a Jew. All Jews hated all tax collectors that were Jewish. Jesus just picked a person in the community they hated the most too. Because Jesus is making a point. You don't get to choose who's in and who's out. You don't get to choose who I'm going to give mercy to and who I'm not. And just so that you know, I'm giving everyone mercy. <laughs> I look at Jesus and I'm like, ooh, come on. Come on, right? Man, isn't that amazing? Well, let's look at verse 10. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came. This is Matthew's house. So Jesus calls Matthew, come follow me. Oh, by the way, uh, lead us to your house. We're coming to your house for dinner. Follow me, be one of my disciples, and you're hosting dinner. Let's go. Oh, you're, it's about to go. <laughs> you're all like, oh. My wife loves when, we, when, when you have those intense moments. That you're like, oh, what's going to happen? And she always acts like she's eating popcorn like this. So if you ever see us in like a serious meeting and Barbara's over in the corner, got that little smile and she's like doing this, it's because she can't wait to see what happens. It's like, oh, real TV right here, you know? Like, what's going to happen? She does it all the time. I had to stop letting her come to my leadership meetings because they're like, and then they're all like, we don't really care what Daniel has to say. We want to know what she's thinking. No, you don't want to know what she's thinking, right? Just kidding. So but I mean, she does do that thing. So anyways, it's a, it's a joke inside of our house all the time. But here's the thing. So I want you to catch this. Now, Jesus came to Matthew's house, sat at Matthew's table, that behold, during this time, guess what? 
many, everybody say many. many, many tax collectors, but not just the tax collectors and what? Sinners. Ooh, come on. He sat down with him and his disciples. So I have this question that I hope stirs you guys up. I mean, I hope that you don't leave during the middle of the sermon and say, I'm not staying. I hope that you hear me out. But I did say the word accepts on purpose. What happens when Jesus accepts a sinner into a circle? <laughs> right? <laughs> Amen. So we see this word because it bothered me when I first wrote it down. And then I was like, can I find a different word? I was like right-clicking synonyms, something that maybe doesn't, isn't so offensive, right? Maybe something that doesn't stir the pot. Maybe something that would not, you know, in, like be such an issue that people would walk out the door and then the Lord's like, no, this is the word you're using. Accepts. Jesus accepted a sinner into his inner circle. I want you to think about this. How much time did Matthew have from walking out of the tax collector office to get his everything in line with Jesus? I mean, did Jesus have this quick meeting like, okay, Matthew, if you're going to follow me, here's the deal. You're going to have to uh, stop being greedy. You're going to have to stop being, I mean, uh, we got to sit down. Hold on. We have to have a meeting before a meeting, before we start doing this life change, before you can be a disciple. I need you to understand. And here's the things I need you to sign off. I need you to change right now before we even walk over to your house. Did, did we have a meeting like that? Jesus said, come follow me right now. Come follow me. Come follow me. Did he fix all the sailor's language? Okay, you can follow me, fisherman, but uh, you got to stop having your language before you get out of the boat. I mean, one of the things that we, we like to put a whole bunch of added things onto Jesus, what happens when Jesus accepts a sinner into his inner circle? Many sinners show up. Huh? Wait, hold on. One tax. What happens when Jesus accepts one? All of a sudden, he's like, hey, I got a bunch of friends, Jesus, because none of the Pharisees would, would talk to us, sit down with us, explain anything to us. They wouldn't minister to us. They wouldn't do anything. I got a whole bunch of tax collectors that would love to hear what you have to say. Not only tax collectors, but I got a bunch of sinners. Can I bring them all into this house? You see what happens in this moment, in this moment, we see a real church being happened, a real church starting, real. Right in this moment, Jesus is showing today's church what church is supposed to look like. One tax collector becoming many tax collectors. One sinner, a whole lot of sinners show up. See, this is what, this excites me. When I read, read this and I'm just reading it and God's just pouring into my heart, I'm like, this is what we're supposed to look like. Where, where one person says, hey, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to see what happens. And then one person is loved right where they're at. And then all of a sudden, you know what? I think I can bring my friends. That's exactly what happened to Matthew. Hey, I'm going to check this out. Hey, I'm actually loved. Mercy is being bestowed upon me. Can I bring all my friends? Yes, let's do this. Churches get messy if it's a real church. If a church isn't messy, you're in a wrong place. I promise you. If you walk in and everybody's righteous, run. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. If everybody's like... And I remember walking in, and they were so worried about carpet. This person walked in. It was their first time in church in years, and they had this, this Route 44 drink. And, I mean, they were, they were double fist and clinching this sucker. I mean, they're like, they're like Whew. and I'm like, come, it's okay. And I'm like, come on. See, the roof didn't come down. We got great insurance. We can rebuild. Come on. All right, all right. And you're like, see, see, no one's looking at you. It's not weird. Come on. And then all of a sudden, hey. We don't have drinks in the sanctuary. You can throw it in the trash or you can go back to your car. And I walked and walked right. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? That's what you're, you're worried about carpet? Do you even know what their name was before you started telling them about this precious carpet? When I just went to like, like take a whole thing of coffee and just dump it all over. You like that? Come on, you like that? And just get it all dirty. <laughs> Replace the carpet with your heart. Come on, you know? I mean, 
Man, we can miss the complete heart of Jesus. You can tell everybody that's been sick, you start laughing, and it's all, I'm helping you out. We're just getting it worked up. <laughs> all right, let's keep going. I'll get, I'll get too distracted. Oh, whoops, I forgot the slide. I was so excited. I already said all of that. It's there. <laughs> so, I love it. I love when I'm looking at this in Jesus, what Jesus is doing. We, we're going to find out really how it affects Jesus and his ministry here in a little bit. But man, hey, Jesus was bold. He didn't care what people thought of him when he was giving his father's mercy and love and grace. In verse 11, and when the Pharisees saw it, so we, we were going to find out real quick who doesn't like this picture of this church. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, did you catch that? I want to ask Jesus, I'm going to ask his disciples. Why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors, right? Well, my first question that came to my mind is why didn't the Pharisees like it? Why didn't they like when they, so here's the thing, you got to picture this, you got to, okay, so everybody's, now you have a whole bunch of tax collectors having a tax collector and all the sinners of the community uh, potluck at Matthew's house, the ringleader of the tax collectors right now. Do you think that there's probably any, I mean, surely there was no gossip throughout the town. I mean, how do you think the Pharisees heard about this? Pharisees, Pharisees, did you hear? We've got to go tell the church, right? And so then all of a sudden, the, the Pharisees all start walking by, like, oh, I don't go to this part of the town, but today I'm going to kind of like peek in the window. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're doing it. Oh, it's terrible. I'm going to write this down. Mm-mm. Oh, I can't believe that I found his car there. Oh, man, I'll tell you, mm, I can't wait. So then all of a sudden, I'll, hey, disciples, why is your teacher doing this? Right? Why didn't they like it? Same reason of thousands of Christians today don't like it. Thousands and thousands of Christians in churches, sitting in churches, hate the same thing that the Pharisees hated because Jesus accepted Matthew right where he was. And they didn't. Oh, you, don't, you guys aren't as amening right now as you were five minutes ago. A little, minute, little bit ago, you're like, yeah! And they're all like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. I want you to hear me. There's a difference between acceptance and approval. There's a lot of things in my life that you may not like. I don't really approve of your parenting style. I, I don't approve of, of how you... Uh, train sheep I don't know but I don't know I don't approve of how you drive I don't know maybe you maybe you do maybe you don't but acceptance and approval are two different things aren't they I can accept someone right where they are without approving of a lifestyle and just because I don't approve it doesn't mean that we have no you know hey I'm not God at the end of the day either am I see if we were there, could we count all the sins in that room? Just looking at tax collector, we've, we've got lying. He's, he definitely lied to people to get money out of him. He was greedy. He got rich off of people. He was deceiving. I mean, if we wanted to catch, I mean, a self-righteous person could really start making a long list of a lot of problems in that room because not just tax collectors, but then their sinners showed up. Ooh, might have had a prostitute in the room. I mean, right? I mean, hey, you know. Now picture whatever sin you have the biggest problem with. They're definitely in that room because this is for all of us to learn and grow, right? See, all of this, all these sins sitting in the room. And see, they, they have a problem that Jesus accepted Matthew right where he was before there was any major changes seen. Here's what they're really upset about. Amidst all the sin, what does Jesus do? He sat at the table. 
I don't, I don't, I really, I was kind of in my mind picturing a, more of a celebrate. Let me, let me, let me back up. Hold on, no, 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 it's too late. It's too late. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to repeat it. I'm going to give you another chance. You're going to have another chance. Everybody at home, you can make this real weird too and clap and wake everybody up in the house. But amidst all, I want you to think about this. So here's the Pharisees watching this story happen, and there's a bunch of sinners all around this table. What does Jesus do amongst, amidst all the sin? There's a lot of people that hadn't got their lives straightened out yet. You guys following me, right? He walks in and he sits at the table. Just like he sat at your table when you were messed up. Isn't it amazing? And I went back because I had to make sure because I was like, man, if I'm going to stir the pot, I better back. So I started backing up. Jesus didn't tell people to stop sinning before he gave them healing. He healed them and then he had the conversation about life. Go back and look for yourself. So why does, they say, why does your teacher eat with sinners? (laughs) I want you to consider this right here. Jesus was violating every cultural standard acceptable. Everything. He was, he was completely going against everything that's acceptable. His behavior in the entire culture was unacceptable. First by just asking Matthew, a terrible person, a terrible sinner, the worst sinner of the community, to follow him especially before there was any seen transformation. Remember, Jesus said, follow me, and what was he still sitting at? He was still in the tax collecting office. He hadn't quit and said, hey, I've been a really bad person in the past. Can I follow you? He was at the office committing sin, and Jesus said, come follow me. Huh? Right? We following? Whoo, I love it. You know, it's... Secondly, Jesus violated every cultural standard by entering Matthew's house and eating with sinners. See, it's one thing to go tell somebody, go get your life straight, then come. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus approached, follow me, and we're going to straighten up as we go. I mean, how many of you, the moment you got saved, were perfect? I need all the self-righteous people to go ahead and raise your hand now. I mean, you get what I'm saying? How many of you, even after you got saved, were still a little messed up? Now, how many of you were still a lot messed up? Now, you see what I'm saying? Once we get saved and we get like 20 years under our belt, and we're like, everybody should be just like me. I don't want anybody like you right now. Because we're all this working progress. That's why Paul says, work out your salvation. We're still working it out. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still falling down. (laughs) What's the big deal, right? What's the big deal about eating in this house? What's the big deal? See, I need you to understand eating together may not be a big deal in our culture, but it sure was then. In that culture, eating together was the deepest form of social intimacy you could have. Eating together in the first century, that's what best friends do. I mean, they didn't have basketball, wrestling, cross-country, track, softball to take up all of our kids' times. They, they didn't have, you know, like band the way that we know it, and, and, and you sang at church, you know. I mean, so the thing is, is that that culture, it was like the highlight of the day is if you went over and ate with somebody, spent time with them at their house. Now, the devil has worked really good to get us so busy that we don't have time to spend time with even our own family in our own house under our own roof. Huh? Huh? <laughs> Just saying it because that's true. It's true. 
But in that culture, this was the greatest source of intimacy you could show. Furthermore, in that same culture, no sinner was welcomed into a righteous man's house, nor would a righteous man be found dead in a sinner's house. In that culture, you're not coming into my house and I'm definitely not going into yours. See, Jesus displayed unconditional acceptance and impartiality by participating in this meal. All the while committing social suicide. And Jesus didn't care. Right? He didn't think twice about sitting at your table. He didn't think twice about sitting at your neighbor's table. He just came and he sat at the table because he loves you. <laughs> so Jesus heard the last verses that we're looking at today. I'm flying right through this. You're like, woo, get me. Everybody's going to be like, don't get them too excited. This could take a long time. So when Jesus heard that, so he overheard them questioning, right? He overheard this. He said, so he's like, no, my disciples aren't going to answer the question. I'll, you know, if you want to know something, go to the source, right? Jesus, I'll answer the question. You could have just asked me. Jesus said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. Isn't that good? I mean, that's some good stuff right there. Can you imagine being that self-righteous Pharisee? Why in the world are you eating with those people, right? The us versus them garbage that gets into today's churches there is no us and them there's an all of us is us all of us it was a them all of us was lost all of us need a savior we're all in that same boat of what we need mercy and so jesus answers that criticism and what he does is he identifies those who are in need he says those who are sick those who are stuck haven't you been stuck in your life a time or two you may be even stuck right now right jesus is identifying his entire purpose of coming to earth i came did you hear that isn't that cool i did not come right so what he's doing is i'm telling he's jesus is right now telling everybody the purpose that he came for he identifies those who are the problem those who have no mercy that's kind of why he's saying, I need you to go learn something. The Pharisees were very self-righteous, but they also thought that they were, they were more schooled than everybody. I need you to learn something. Telling somebody who thinks they know everything that you need to learn something, how does that go over? Right? Come on, you know them. Probably sitting right next to them. I'm just kidding. But you, you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, there's times in our lives where we're just like, you know, you, you come to somebody and you're trying to teach them something and they already know everything. You can't teach them anything, Right? He's, he's telling somebody who thinks they know everything what they need to go learn. You need to go and learn, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. <laughs> See, the word mercy, elios, is an attribute of God. Did you know that that is an attribute? In, in, in Ephesians 2.4, but God who is rich in mercy... You read through the whole Old Testament, and how many times do you see that attribute? Elos, right there with God. God, it's an attribute of, it's his attribute. It's who he is. He's merciful. He's compassionate. <laughs> he defines his purpose. He came to call sinners, not the righteous. You see, the righteous don't need to repent. Self-righteous can't see the need to repent. But those who know, I'm a chocolate mess, right? 
when we're like, I'm just, I'm a mess. Guess what? We get it. Over and over, no matter how many times, it's like, man, I did it again, right? Right? I can't believe I did it again. And, and, and their mercy finds us at the altar all over again, like the very first time, right? I mean, that's what's so amazing. It's not like, well, God's like, I'm going to give you a little bit less mercy and less mercy. and less. It's like when you, when you show up, it's like, God, and you're like, I'm right here. I'm right here. Let's do this. I mean, that's the God we come to worship. So, so if you're taking some notes and you want some, like, application, I got you some. How do I not become a Pharisee? Sounds good, right? How do I not become one of those guys, right? Number one, leaders, make sure you're writing these down. You'll be given a test later. <laughs> stay on mission. First, stay on mission. Listen, it's God's mission, not yours. How many times do we kind of get in those places where we think that this is like, uh, this is how I think I want to see the church. This is what I think church should be like. This is what I think we should do. And this is how I think. It ain't about you. It ain't even your mission. Maybe you would be less, like a, less like a Pharisee if you remembered whose mission it is and who's in charge. There is a God and you're not him. See, what is that mission? To seek and to save that which is lost. Isn't that awesome? You see, that mission, it's not about me, my preferences, or my comforts. It's about God's glory and His kingdom. The second thing, if you want to not be a Pharisee, the second thing is this. Know your role in that mission. The role that God gives us clearly is to be merciful. Go and learn what this means I desire mercy. You see, guess what God didn't say? Hey, Paul, you know what? I got a job for you, Paul. I want you to become judge. And I need you to be the judge and the executioner for my church. Did God ever say to anyone ever, I want you to do my job? Who's the judge? God. You don't want that job. I promise you, you don't want it. Guess what? He also didn't say, hey, would you be my police force to enforce all of my laws? No, because that's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit, John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of sin. So you're not to convict the world of sin. You're not to judge sin. You're to be merciful. If we remembered what God called us to do and stay out of his business, a lot of things would go a lot better. Right? It sounds pretty good. Because really what God does is he goes, I'm going to give you the easiest job. You don't have to be the judge. You won't be any good at it. And you don't have to be the one convicting the world of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. What I want you to do is to be merciful. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy. James 2.13 says, For judgment with, is without mercy to the one who doesn't show mercy. <laughs> I might want to reread that. Hold on, just in case. If you're somebody like when you took out your spiritual gifts test and your lowest spiritual gift was mercy, listen up. James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Ooh. God, I'm giving mercy. You know, I'm like, right now, today, starting now, merciful. Just call me Merciful Dan. Because when I stand before you on judgment day, I'm wanting some of that mercy. <laughs> All right, third part, practice mercy. If that's my role, I want to practice it. Practice mercy. Here's how. Three ways. I love it. Three ways to practice mercy. By being open to all people. All means all. One of the things that we say here at Living Water all the time is all are welcome here. And we always, I love saying, I'm so glad you're here. I am so glad. There's never a time where I'm like, oh, that person came to church. Never. 
I'm just like, God, I'm just tickled that somebody shows up. I mean, like, I'm like, God, I'm just, you know, thank you for someone coming to praise you with me. That's pretty awesome. I don't care what they did this week. I'm just glad they're here sitting in this place with me. I'm glad you're all here with me today. The, the fastest way to not be welcome at this church is to not be welcoming. I'm just saying. Because one of the things that we say is this. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, or where you've been. You are welcome here. And if you ever hear that different from any of my leaders, you just let me know. And I'll take them down a couple of notches. I'm serious. Because that's who we are at this church. The second thing, by practicing mercy, by accepting people right where they are, not where I want them to be. See, self-righteous people say, I'll accept you, but I need you to be where I want you to be. I need you to look the way I want you to look. I need you to talk the way I want you to talk, and it's got to all be what I want. That's what self-righteousness is right? So I've been doing this really neat study. It's called uh, Mud to Masterpiece. One of the things that all of you being members of this awesome, amazing church have access to is called Right Now Media. Whenever we get all of your emails, we'll be sending you an invitation to an amazing program of thousands of Bible studies that every one of you will have. I have it on my phone. I, like, I'm driving down the road. I want a Bible study. Boom. I click on it. Let's do this. Right now, I'm doing one by Philip Yancey. It's called Vanishing Grace. It's talking about how churches are no longer giving grace to people who walk in the doors. Shocker, right? So I'm, I'm going through that. I'm like, this is amazing. I wish everybody in the church could do that. And Garrick says, hey, they can I'm like, sell me. Let's go. How much is it going to cost? Write a check. Let's do this thing. I mean, so what's really awesome is that every member of Living Water, I put that loosely, every person that I have an email to <laughs> and attends this church actively, right? So anyways, and so what's amazing, this Mud to Masterpiece was talking about how we all start off like mud and God is making and throughout our life and turning us into a masterpiece. I love it. It's really a great study. And, and so with that being said, one of the things that they talked about was that there was a lot of people who were really stuck in some deep, deep sin for a long time. And they came to the church and they stayed in that same sin. Actually, the, the people testified that they were flaunting their sin in front of everybody's faces to see what the people would do. But you know what the people did? They loved them right where they are, and they said, two years. Everybody say two years. Two years years later was when they finally realized that the love and the grace was real. Could you love somebody who didn't want to be saved? I mean, seriously, didn't they... I'm coming to church and I don't want to be saved and I want you to know I'm not saved and I don't like anybody here. Could you love that person two years acting like that? You see, that's what being merciful is. Accepting people right where they are, even as where it's not where I want them. Because remember, it's not about me, right? But I am to love them. What if they never change? Exactly. I'm going to love you if you never change. Isn't that what God's love is? Unconditional. Unconditional means that if you never change, I will love you the same. Aren't we called to love like God loves? I'm going to love you if you never change. And the last one is by being patient with people. I want everybody, I mean, it's like, I I want you to have everything right now, right now, right now. We're so impatient. But going along with, I'm going to love you if you never change, that takes patience. Saying, I'm not God, I'm not the one doing the changes in your life. I remember a while back uh, throughout our CR CR, uh, class, and, and there were some people that, that were struggling with some things in their life. And they're like, yeah, I, I'm focusing right now on, on it was something. And, and I was like, 
what about this other th- something that's bigger than the little something that you're working on right now? Guess what that is? Self-righteousness. I'm just going to let you know what that is. A little bit of judgmental attitude in there. We'll sprinkle that in there. A lot of times what we do is we look at people and we think that we know what God wants to do in their life. The first rule in CR, realize I'm not. (laughs) If we can get to that one, a lot of the other ones get a lot easier. I'm not God. That's not my job. I don't want God's job. Only God can do it. I don't want it. My role, I'm going to stay in my lane. Be merciful, be merciful, be merciful, be merciful. Right? Come on, right? How much easier would your life be if you stayed in your own lane? (laughs) All right, so. Man, I love this. I hope that God is going to stretch all of us so much. So we're going to have our time of prayer, time of giving, time to get ready for communion. The reason why we put this at the end is that it gives us an opportunity to write anything inside of us that we need to get right. I want you to bow your heads today. And what I want you to do right now is I just, I want you to ask God. Don't ask the pastor. Don't ask your your spouse. I want you to ask you. You ask the Lord. God, Do I have any of this self-righteousness inside of me right now? God, is there certain people in my life that I don't have mercy for? God, is there someone that I just won't forgive? Is there someone that I, I just refuse? Or maybe today, is a day where God is opening up your heart and you're like, God, I need your mercy so bad right now. Maybe you need to lay down an unmerciful behavior or maybe you need to beg for the mercy of God and I promise you, he'll sit at your table. I promise you, if he sat at Matthew's table, he'll sit at your table. Maybe today you just need, God, I need that mercy. See, if, I, if I've been unmerciful I know I already need his mercy (laughs) maybe today is that day where you felt so unworthy of his mercy maybe today is the day you've been looking at yourself saying I don't deserve his forgiveness I don't deserve redemption I can't tell you how many times I've ran into people say I don't deserve it guess what you're right but who cares he gives it anyways If you feel like you're unworthy for God's forgiveness and you're unworthy of His mercy, I'm telling you, accept it anyways. It's there for you right now. Whatever you need, come. Maybe you need to pray mercy for someone else. God, please extend mercy to my friend. God, extend mercy to my neighbor. God, If any of you today are sitting here and you say, I need to ask Jesus into my heart, I'm going to stand right over here to the side like I do every week. If anyone needs to say, God, I need you to come into my heart. I need to be saved. I don't know how to do it and I don't know what to do, but I want to. I'll be right over here for you.